So we're going to be starting a series today on Christmas. And this is, uh, it's always fun for me to be able to, to begin a series because, of course, there's a lot of reading that goes involved, or that's involved in that. Uh, there's the, the theological stuff, which I get really excited about. Uh, but then there's also the area of culture and, and the different stories that I come across as I'm reading. For instance, there is a woman who is talking about how it's been a little bit confusing for her daughter to, to fit, and she's, the daughter's two years old, to fit the idea of Santa into the, the, uh, the whole religious milieu of Christmas. So she came into a room and her daughter was reading a book, or pretending to read a book, she's two, and, and she was reading out loud about how Santa then forgave them their trespasses. <laughs> or the, another story I read about a gentleman, uh, older, fella and a grandpa, and he was wanting to uh, send out some gifts to all his kids and grandkids, and he'd gotten tired of being, going to the mall and doing all that stuff, so he decided he was just going to send them out some checks. So he goes into his office and writes them all cards and, and with the, the sentiment, you know, buy your own presents, and, and he goes and mails them off, and he's happy because he mailed them out early. And the Christmas comes and goes, and she, he, he realizes he doesn't get any cards back from anybody, and so he's wondering about that. So he goes into his office to, to mail a couple of letters just to inquire about how everybody's doing. And on his desk, he finds a neat stack of checks that were supposed to be in the cards that told people to go and buy their own presents. <laughs> or finally, this woman is, is sitting at, at her, uh, what is it called, a vanity, I think, the little desk in the mirror. And her, her young boy walks in and, and asks her what she's doing. And she says, well, your daddy got me some beauty products in my stocking. And one of them was this face mask, because she's got putting this face mask on. And she says, it's going to make me beautiful. And so he's sitting there and watching her. And she plies it and, and then takes it off and, and washes her face and pats it dry. And he goes, oh, mom, it didn't work. <laughs> Yikes. But Christmas isn't always all about fun and games, isn't it? It's, it has some tough aspects to it. One study that I read, a North American survey, it reported that 45% of respondents actually dreaded the holiday season. Dreaded, 45%. Some people, they get depressed at Christmas and even angry because of the excessive commercialization of Christmas with the focus on gifts and the emphasis on so-called perfect social activities. Others get depressed because Christmas appears to be a trigger to engage in excessive self-reflection or contemplation with other people or, or um, giving themselves uh, a victim mentality in a sense, thinking about the inadequacies of their own lives, especially as they compare them to other people, compare themselves to other people. We can see this a lot with social media and when people look at others as great endeavors. Still others become anxious at Christmas because of the pressure, both commercial and self-induced, to spend a lot of money on gifts and incur increasing debt. Whereas other people report, sadly, that they dread Christmas because of the expectations for social gatherings with family friends and acquaintances that they'd just rather not spend time with. 
Finally, many people feel lonely at Christmas because they have suffered the loss of a loved one or their job. So do you ever wonder, I mean, some of these we we can't help. This is life. But do you ever wonder what the root of some of these other issues are? Because they're not new. This isn't, this isn't the first year these things are, are coming up. What the root of all of that is. I have, a, I have a guess. I have a, an idea. I think it's because we've allowed Christmas as a society to become something that it was never actually meant to be. We've allowed Christmas to become something that it was never actually meant to be. Now, if you don't consider yourself a Christian, Christmas can be actually whatever you want it to be. Uh, because the, the fundamental reason, as Owen so wisely pointed out, is Christmas for, for Christians is celebrating God coming to earth and taking on human flesh as, as a baby. So if you're not a Christian, you don't believe that actually happened. That, that God got a bod, as it were. But that being said, I can guarantee that what we're going to talk about this morning, what we're going to talk about this morning is applicable for everybody, no matter what you believe, who you believe in, who you don't believe in, because what we're going to talk about is going to get at the roots of the very feelings that I was just talking about, that anxiety, that pressure, that loneliness, these things that can swirl around in the Christmas season. So I'm going to try to get at at least one of the primary reasons for this feeling, for these feelings, and I would say that it's, we often look at situations that we find ourselves in, life circumstances, in a way that has taught us to wonder what we're gonna get out of the situation. We can enter into a situation and wonder what we're going to get out of it. Like recently, so this is about expectations, right? Recently, Andrew and I went down to the States to a theological conference a couple weeks ago. Road trip, it was awesome. Uh, down to Providence, Rhode Island, and we stayed in a hotel. And after going in and just, you know, the basic cursory survey of the room, I started wondering, you know, where's the chocolates? Where's the, the water bottle? You know, what's the, the shampoo situation, right? If I, I didn't bring any. That sort of thing. So, so what's free and what's for me? Or, I might be getting a new cell phone and wondering what I can expect them to throw in to sweeten the deal to get my business. Or I might be planning on going to a school. What can I get from that school? Like, what will they provide for me in order to entice me to go there? We can start to think about these things. I get, I get. And I find myself wanting to do that with Christmas sometimes. Right? I, I get stuff. I get to spend time with the people who I want to spend time with. Even I get Jesus. I get, I get, I get. Can you see the problem? Can you see where that kind of thinking can end up taking me? So today, our our big idea, our thought today is what we want to to focus on and, and set the foundation for our season is Christmas... It's not working. Christmas is about thee, not me. Christmas is about thee. I'm using a a nice old English word. Christmas is about thee, not me. And when I'm saying thee, what I'm getting at is first and foremost, Jesus. 
Jesus, Christmas is about Jesus. It's his birthday. But because we're, we're made in God's image and because we're meant to reflect the character of Jesus, I'm also talking about other people. So what I'm saying is that Christmas is about Jesus and other people, not about me. Today we're going to read from Matthew chapter 2. So if you're not already there, I'd encourage you to turn there. Grab your Bible or your phone or whatever your preferred reading method is. Or we're also going to have it up top here so you can feel free to read from there. We're going to learn from a a story that on its face is going to seem to not fit our context, perhaps, or, or our personal life. But when you look at the very base of it, I think you're going to be able to see the human condition reads loud and clear in this passage. This human condition is going to read clearly. And after that, I'm going to give some suggestions about just one aspect of the season that can use some rethinking. So Matthew 2, verses 1 to 8. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation this morning. If you're curious. Verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Jesus was born during the reign of King Herod. So who is King Herod? This is important for us to be thinking about this morning. Herod was a an interesting historical character. He he had his ups and downs, as it were, I think as a lot of us do, but he would kind of take things to extreme. He was a very ambitious king. He really enjoyed doing things big. So he was known for the second addition, or the addition to the second temple uh, in Jerusalem, so Herod's temple. Uh, to the Caesarea Maritima he was responsible for, the fortress at Masada, as well as the Herodium. So he, he had all these building projects and he wanted to make sure that people understood that he was, he was in it to have his name known, to have his name be glorified. He also had a dark side though, beyond that. Uh, he was known for killing his favorite wife killing his favorite wife. So there's levels of disturbingness in that. He also killed his two of his sons. So he's a, a disturbed sort of person. Moving on to the second half of verse 1. And on, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come To worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, and as was everyone in Jerusalem. Well, why was Herod disturbed? He should be, if he, if he considers himself the king of the Jews, and why would he be disturbed as somebody that was coming was supposed to be helpful to his people? Well, it's probably because Herod didn't want his kingdom taken from him. Herod liked the things the way that they were, and wasn't interested in having that pulled away from him. He didn't want the competition. Jerusalem, it says all of Jerusalem was disturbed, probably for a variety of reasons. There was people that were in bed with Herod, in a sense, that they were tied to his success. So as he rose and fell, they would rise and fall. So they wanted to protect themselves. But then also there was a number of people who knew exactly what kind of man Herod was, and they knew where this road would lead. And so they were disturbed. It's funny, Jesus coming into the world has an incredible way of illuminating things that lurk 
in the deepest depths of the human heart. Jesus is coming into the world, whether the first time we see in this instance or as Jesus comes into our life has a way of illuminating some of the things that we may not want to look at or think about. A friend of mine was mentioning the other day, he has a friend who has a hard time, uh, speaking about hotels earlier, about going into hotels. And the reason is, is because typically when he goes there, he takes a black light with him. And so it proceeds to go over it like a CSI detective. So needless to say, this guy, he doesn't spend too much time in, in hotel rooms. Because black lights, I don't know if you've ever experienced them, but they tend to reveal things that we don't want to think about or talk about. In situations like that, it's actually it's pretty gross. So he, uh, I, I, don't leave, I leave that alone. Verse 4. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? So, like the, like the black light, his, his character is being drawn out here. And now we start to see that he understands what's going on. Everybody at this point knew from as long as they'd been reading, that the Messiah was coming. This was what was the most important thing on the horizon for them, was this Messiah that was supposed to free them. And now it looks like he's coming, and these foreign wise men coming from a different land, they understood the magnitude of it. And they were excited about it. But then we have Herod, for some reason, who should be excited, but Herod, instead, is freaking out. Herod's disturbed by it. Ironically, Herod's reaction displayed one of the reasons why Jesus is, Jesus need to come in the first place. He's, he's experiencing fear and pride and selfishness. So Messiah, when we think about Messiah coming then, this is the, the Greek word, that's a Hebrew word. The Greek is, is Christos, or Christ in English. So Christ isn't Jesus' last name. It's, it's uh, part of the role that he plays. But the Messiah was God's promised person to fulfill, to ultimately fulfill the priest, the prophet, and the king role in the world. He was going to be the ultimate one of those. And come together and charged with the salvation of God's people. So this is what the Messiah was supposed to be coming to do. This was God's gift to the world. And this is why when we think of the verse, John 3.16, probably the most famous verse, but we, we know that because God so loved the world that he gave, gave his only son so that whoever shall believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. This was a gift that God gave. This was the Messiah, the Messiah's purpose. Verse 5. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet wrote. So here he's going to get into, he's going to quote first Micah and then 
Second Samuel. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Talk about fulfilled prophecy. And we can see by Herod's reaction that he knew exactly what was going on. It was very, very clear to him exactly what was going on. God had been letting them know that the Messiah was coming for millennia. We have something called, this is where I like to geek out on on theology, but there's something called the Proto-Evangelion. The Proto-Evangelion. And this is where we go all the way back to the creation account, and, and specifically when the fall happens and God is talking to the serpent or Satan. And it mentions that his heel will be bruised, but he will crush your head. So it's talking about what is going to happen in the future. God right off the bat said, you are not going to win this fight. It's not even a fight, Satan. Like this, it's going to be over before it even began. This is the proto, so the first evangelion. Gospel. This is the beginning of the gospel we saw right at the beginning. So God, from the beginning of human history, has been telling people that there will be a Messiah, there will be someone that will set to rights all of the things that we see wrong in the world. Isn't that awesome? We should be really, really excited about that. The problem is, is that God can tell us something. It's in our human nature. It can tell us something over and over and over and over again. But sometimes... We can grow cold to the message, especially when it infringes on our ultimate desires. If you don't think that's true, if you have a significant other who has had to tell you more than once to do something, like take out the trash, maybe this might ring true. We can grow cold to these messages, and it doesn't matter, evidently, even when God is the one doing the talking. That's why we remind ourselves. Verse 7. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. So Herod's doing some detective work. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Well, golly gee, Herod, it sounds like you've gotten it, right? Woohoo! But the, the problem is, though, Herod hasn't gotten it. Herod hasn't figured it out. And this is the insane part of this text as we read it, is Herod knew what he's supposed to do. He knows that he's supposed to go and and worship Jesus. He knows it. But he doesn't do it. Instead, he lies about going to do it. And this is why, remember at the beginning we talked about people were probably disturbed that Herod was coming? We know if we keep reading down the story, Herod, in a psychotic rage, is going to, in order to neutralize the opposition, kill every male two years and under. Every male two years and under. This is, this is his plan. This is how he plans to worship the king. Now, I know I can get wrapped up in the whole gift-giving aspect of the season, the events, the, the relational events, all these things that we do to, to celebrate in part of it, we can get wrapped up in that to the point where 
the enchantment of the season starts to starts to get sucked out of it a little bit, doesn't it? Anybody resonate with that? Got to run around and make sure you, you do a bunch of stuff and see a bunch of people, and all of a sudden it just doesn't quite seem the same. We ask why, and I, I think because often when I do things, even when I'm doing nice things for other people, deep down, deep down, I think often I'm doing those nice things for myself. I have an expectation for something in return. That's why I think often in the holiday season or often when you hear people doing something for other people, the word ungrateful ends up getting used a lot. Because even when I think I'm doing something for somebody else, often, I often will do it to make myself feel good. I'm wondering how this will make me happy. C.S. Lewis writes that all we call human history, so money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, is the long, terrible story of man trying to get something other than God which will make him happy. Trying to find something other than God which will make them happy. And this is where fear and or hunger for power or whatever it is that Herod had going on or whatever I have that lurks sometimes in my heart can, where it can lead a person. So that the very season that's supposed to be marked with joy and mirth and giving can end up being sad. Herod's self-worth seemed to have been tied to his position, and he wasn't about to that. He wasn't about to give that up. He didn't want to give that up. But then you look at his his target. You look at at Jesus, and we know from Paul that though he was God, though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to grasp or to cling to. But instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. That's what Jesus did. So therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the example. So then as we read the Christmas story in context, as we're going through and reading this, it should leave no question in our mind who the hero of the story is. No question. And the hero of the story is God. We can see that his relationship, just in these, these couple verses that we've read today, we, we see his relationship is with his children through good communication and through an apt warning for what can happen. And we also see his willingness to to condescend, to come down to a life amongst people who lost their way, but yet mean so very much to him. Because for God so loved the world. 
that he gave his son. Russian writer Leo Tolstoy writes, Where there is faith, there is love. Where there is love, there is peace. Where there is peace, there is God. And where there is God, there is no need. Where there is God, there is no need. Yes, we, humanity, were, were fallen. But God is still on his throne and still with us, providing everything, everything that we need for faith and for life. So at the end of the day, then, Christmas should remind us of who we are, who we are meant to be, and who can get us there. Christmas should remind us of who we are, who we are meant to be, and then who can get us there. Now, I could stop right there with that encouragement, but it wouldn't be much of a preacher, I don't think, if I did. So I'm going to take another couple of minutes, and I want to address the question, how can we recapture the wonder of Christmas? How can we recapture the wonder of Christmas? And i got three suggestions. The first one is focus on Sunday school answer, Jesus. That's what we want to do. We want to focus on Jesus. Even if you don't believe that Jesus is God, you you could do a lot worse than to model your life and your thinking after somebody so selfless and so awesome. This is who we as Christians worship. But specifically, it would serve us well to keep in mind that God selflessly sent his son to reconcile him to us. And through that, then, we know that we can have a better life and live life better. Not, not more stuff, better life, but we can live as in the way that God intended for us to live and therefore be able to serve and glorify him in all that we do. So focus on Jesus. Two, I'm going to tell you this one through by way of story. It's a refurbished uh, Scottish folk tale. And it originally went under the name The Girl and the Dead Man, but I'm going to tell it as The Girl and the Sick Man. So there's a woman, and she has three daughters. Three daughters. And she's about to send them off into the world, and they each have a choice. They can go out with either a large loaf of bread and her curse, or a small loaf of bread and her blessing. And she's going to send them out one by one, and the oldest daughter gets to go first. She's the oldest. So she says daughter says to her daughter, what would you like? And she says, I'll take the, the large loaf of bread and the curse. She sends her on her way. And she's walking along a path, and she sits down about to have her lunch, and she starts to eat her bread, and she finds that it's not nourishing her. And there are some birds there in the tree, and the birds ask, hey, will you share some of this bread with us? And she says, well, no, I only have this much bread. I'd like to keep it for myself. And so the birds curse her in the same way that the mother did. Mother did. The oldest daughter keeps going, and she's looking to make some money and comes upon a home with a woman in it, and she has a sick brother. And she says, I'll pay you if you can stay up all night and look after my brother. He gets sick in the middle of the night. And she says, okay, but because she was undernourished and energized by the, the, the lack of nourishment in the bread, she falls asleep. And so the woman wakes up, and she's angry and casts a spell on her and, and turns her into one of 
the birds. Second daughter, exactly the same thing happened. Obviously, they're not getting news back home as to the pitfalls of some of the decisions. So same thing. So there's two daughters or birds. The youngest daughter goes to send out and she says, would you, what would you prefer? And she says, well, I would take the, I want the blessing. I'll take the small loaf of bread and the blessing. And so she goes and she's on the path and sits down to have some lunch and she starts to eat the, the bread and the birds come and ask to share. And she says, sure, there's, there's plenty for everybody. And it turns out there was. There's plenty for all of them to eat and have their fill. And they had a great time. And then she continues on and finds the home with the woman and her sick brother. And the woman says, if you can stay up all night with my brother, I'll give you your wages in the morning. And of course, she's energized and nourished after having eaten her bread. And she stays up all night and looks after the brother. And in the morning... Sure enough, the woman gives her her wages. And on top of that, she gets a special blessing. and She gets this little cordial, this little potion. And she uses it to return her or her sisters to their human form. And so everyone lives happily ever after. So what do we learn from this? Well, first we learn from the older sisters that their view of the world was very, very small. It was very small. In in their world, there was no room for blessings or curses or anything like that beyond the physical. So they wanted as much of that physical as they could get, and they weren't about to share it with anybody else. The, The youngest daughter, though, she had a very big view of the world, and she looked at everything in an enchanted way. And she saw that what was very important and what was the most important thing for her was actually the blessing wasn't the bread. And so for her, the bread was just a gift that she was willing to share because she understood that everything she had was a gift and was willing to share it. So the first thing is focus on Jesus. Second thing is remember that all we have is a gift. All we have is a gift and it's meant to be shared. Three, Share it. That's, gotta, gotta have some action going on with that. Uh, Christian writer Mike Cosper writes, We can only hold loosely what we know is not ours to begin with. In an abundant world, all we have is a gift, and a gift inspires joy and generosity. Our lives are not about possession, but provision. Not about what we consume, but what we've been given, and thus what we can share what we can share. So this is time and money. This is strangers and kin alike. What we have in this world, it's not like a a bonus we get at work. Because we don't earn gifts. Brothers and sisters, if all we truly have is a gift, then why wouldn't we want to share it with other people? If all we have is truly a gift, why wouldn't we want to share it with other people? I think it's true to a person that anyone who's ever done things for someone without expecting anything in return, they they know that feeling. They know what that feels like. It's transforming that feeling. 
So those feelings that we talked about at the beginning, that anxiety, the loneliness, the pressure, all of that stuff that can come on us during the season, all of that is gone. If we can remember, if we can remember that God is worshipped through real gratitude for his gift and by loving people in response to it. It doesn't matter what other people think. All that matters is that God is worshipped through gratitude. We're gratitude. We show gratitude for him and by loving people in response to it. This is a gift. So if Christmas is truly about thee and not about me, then instead of I get, I get, I get, it's, it's going to be you get, you get, you get, won't it? Can you imagine a society or a world that lived like that even just for, even just for a couple of weeks of the year? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much again for this morning and thank you for your love for us. Thank you for everything that you give to us, that everything that's a gift. And first and foremost, we want to thank you for your son Jesus and how he came to earth as a little baby and then provided for us an example of, of how to live and died and rose again. All of these amazing things. But thank you also for the material wealth, the, all of the stuff that we have, the fact that we can be in a, a climate-controlled building uh, and talk about you is, is amazing. So help us be able to remember that, God. Help us be able to remember that Christmas is about you and about other people and, and not about our personal desires. We ask in your name. Amen.